Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. As the lights come down and the camera opens up, you see this, this fog, this mist, this haze. And as the camera begins to move and cut through it, uh, you're starting to see these figures kind of come to life. You're not really sure what it is yet, but as it gets closer, I'm looking, I can tell that it's rusty and old. It's, it sounds like it would creak, but it's not making a sound yet. And as we get closer, the camera opens up and I can see it's this old gate that's been overgrown and thorny thistles all around it and not been tended to in quite some time. It continues to pan on through and we're moving along the ground and I, I can't see the ground yet so I'm not sure quite exactly where it is or where we're resting or headed. And as the, uh, this ominous kind of feeling comes over us of this loomy gloomy, of this, there's not music. I can begin to see these little dots and symbols on what I think is the ground, these black smudges and then I realize as one comes into view, it's a tombstone. And then I begin to see another and another and another. As it's going and moving through this, I realize we're moving through a cemetery. <laughs> Where are we going? And then I see it as it comes and stops and rests upon a figure that is sitting on top of a tombstone, one leg on one side, another on the other. <laughs> what? what is that? As the camera pans around, as the fog begins to clear up, you see as the light's reflecting off of just a part of his face, you can see that his hair is crazy, his beard is matted, and his eyes are more animalistic than human. I see this something, this thing in its hand, and it's rolling around, and I'm not quite sure what it is, and it grasps it and holds it tight, and you can see the veins bulging in its forearms up through its biceps. As it pans completely around now, we see it full-figured. It's stark naked, not a bit of clothes on. It's Sitting there, I don't understand, scars riddled all over its body. It takes this rock and it slams it into its chest. And as it begins to tear through its own flesh, you can see the skin part and the blood pour down. And scar upon scar upon scar, you can see that. It's got a chain around its ankle. It's been broken. I don't know what it's there for or what's going on. I'm so confused right now. And as it gets about where it's hard it is it wants to go deeper but it can't the body's giving in and it turns and it drops this stone the camera now follows this stone as it's rolling down the limestone cliff and then you see down below this small craft coming upon shore the people in front yes their feet are going to get wet but they hop out with the boat still in motion to pull it out so everyone else can get out on dry land as they've done time and time before they don't see what's going on above them they don't know what's happening beyond their view, but the camera turns back. Camera number one zooms back and you can see his face as his eyes dart and the glare and his, his nose flares, lets out a, ah! Maybe they heard a noise, maybe they didn't. As they sit there and their boat and they unload things, they start going through the provisions they need and their journey they're about to begin as they've landed upon the shore. The thing this demonic thing gets up and begins to run through the cemetery, over top of it, barely touching the ground, chain on its ankle, through the thistles, the thorns, the bushes. It doesn't matter as it's headed down the cliff to meet them where they've landed. As they're getting back, you can now see it coming down the sand behind them. 
Some of them have now noticed and it's like, what is that? And they're ready to go. Back in the boat, guys. I don't know what that is coming at us. Let's get out of here. As it's running and screaming towards it, it's saying, what do you want from me? They're like done. (laughs) But the one, the one they call Jesus is still standing there, still looking back at it, watching it as it comes and comes and slides in and falls at its knees and just screams, don't torture me. I would be pretty freaked out about now. But yet he just stands and he stares and he looks at him and he says, what is your name? And it, more unhuman than human alike, has a simple response, I guess. My name is Legion, for we are many. What? What is this? Now I'm really freaked out. What's going on right now? Where are we and why is this happening? I don't know why he does this next because it says get, out, get cast things out of me and I want to go into the pigs. There's pigs on the side. So camera three all of a sudden picks up the pigs who are pigs who've always been pigs who were born pigs and they've never been nothing but pigs. And they're eating on the side of a hill and their job is simple. These two boys are just watching them. That's their job to watch the pigs. They're not their pigs. They're everyone's pigs. It's the town's pigs. It's their livelihood, their hopes, their dreams. This is their pigs. And then he does it. He gives in to the offer of the man. And he casts the demons into the pigs. And as they're sitting there, they just watch the pigs being pigs as they always have been. And all of a sudden, and then run down the cliff, on into the water, and they're all dead. (laughs) What? That's probably what they said. What just happened? Oh my gosh. And as they run into the city... The camera picks them as they're arriving, and they're like, we lost the pigs. We lost the pigs. We lost all the pigs. What? You lost the pigs? All the pigs. We lost them. You lost one pig? No, we lost them all. They're all gone. They're down. Like down in the water, floating pigs. You lost all the pigs. Let's go. So the whole town now is on their way down to see what has happened to their livelihood, their hopes, their dreams. They're everything they've worked hard for to come see this. And as they come around the corner, you can see this pile of floating pigs in the sea. And then you look back and the other scene that they see is, is this demon-possessed man with some fresh scars, some old scars, at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. Powerful. I wonder how many families in here or neighbors we know would maybe just sleep a little bit better at night if we were just clothed and in our right mind. That's a powerful moment to just see that. And as they see this unfold of this, what they knew was this demon-possessed demoniac now clothed and of right mind. They look over and then they see the group of them. You count them, maybe a dozen standing there around the one. And then you look over and you see the pigs. They're very quick to answer. We don't know what you're selling, but we don't want it here. So Jesus looked at him and said, oh yeah? You know what I'm going to do? One of the most scary parts of that story isn't the demon-possessed man, the demoniac, what was in him, what came out of him. But it's a simple fact that when Jesus shows up and you ask him to leave enough times, he might just listen and roll on away. So as he's left and now going on to the other side of the sea, 
the rumors began. The one is coming back. The one we've heard about is coming back. He's going to be here. So a crowd crowd begins to gather around. You know the one the rumors are about. The one that fed 5,000 people out of a lunchbox. The one who's healed people, that's touched people, that's raised people, that's fixed them from the process. You know, the one that that heals the unclean. You've heard the stories, the rumors about the man who's unclean with leprosy that he has to scream everywhere he goes, unclean! And everyone has to get out of their way because they don't want to get sick or the illness in which they're carrying. And he comes up to him. You've heard about the stories, the rumors, how he comes up to him and says, I'm unclean, but if you're willing, if you're willing, make me clean. And you hear about the one the rumors are true about that came up to him and touched the infected, unclean man and molecules rearranged themselves. In the time when Jesus was walking around and then he spent some time in someone's house and they teared open the roof and they dropped a man down and he got up and walked again after he was paralyzed. And as they were walking uh, through the, the gates one time, they stopped at a man. This man was a blind man his whole life. You've heard about the blind man. He sat there all the time, every day. All he knew how to do was hold his hands open with his robe webbed over side to side and just begged for money, anything that he could get, scraps ready to feel any kind of penny, nickel, dime, anything that came his way and scoop him up before other saw that could see his prey. And as he was sitting there doing that day, we heard about the one who came along and stopped and stared at him and went, (coughs) 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 and spit a loogie and made mud and put it on his eyes and he could see again. That's the one the rumors are about. And he has come. He's here. So a crowd is gathered. They're ready to see the one the rumors are about. They're waiting in line because everybody wants to be blessed. Somebody has to be touched. Somebody's ready to be healed. Somebody's ready to be stored. A baby's ready to be dedicated. I'm here to see the one the rumors are about. We've heard about it. I want to see him. I want to be with him. And then out of the crowd, the camera picks up the man that comes running up to the front of the line and falls at his knees and says, she's only 12 years old. She's the love of my life. Please come with me. She's all I have. Come with me and maybe you can touch her, fix it, heal her. And if you were in line that day, everyone standing there knew that suddenly that this was going to take priority. And so they all began to move. Now is when I'm going to ask that you guys pick up the story with me on your own flat screen. You have a Bible? Mark 5, 24. It says, so Jesus went with them. Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet... Instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. As they're on their way back to the leader's home, this isn't just any leader. 
This isn't a man who's begged that much, maybe even got on his knees in front of people. This is the pastor. This is the pastor's daughter. She's sick. She says, this isn't for me. It's not about me. It's for her. Please. So as they go, I don't know if it's been hours, days. I don't know what it's taken. I don't know if he's traveled to one side of the lake to meet him over there or back again as he's come back. But I know he sat there with his wife. And as they watched their daughter get sick, everybody has their remedies. Everybody has their own way. Drink this, smell this, put this on your forehead. The free will break. But it didn't. And as hours became hours and days became days, a sixth grader can only go so long and miss so much school. And it has to be one of the worst things as a father and mother to be able to watch a child that you brought into this world slowly deteriorate in front of you. A little girl that can't lose much more weight as her body sits there and trembles and you watch every breath that she takes as her chest heaves, just struggling to get that breath. At some moment, I can only imagine as her wife looks at him and says, Honey, just go find him. I know we're on different sides of, the, of things right now, but I've heard the rumors. Whatever, we, we just need him. Just find him. It's our girl. So he's finally arrived. And they're all following and they're traveling and the camera then picks up the woman from the outside. She's not sure She's not sure exactly what's going on. She can't interrupt it. There's so many people crowded around because they've heard the rumors and now they're on their way. She just wants to touch. For 12 years, a constant flow of blood. For 12 years, a constant menstrual cycle. For 12 years, trying to fix this problem. Spent everything that she has had and only grew worse. If I could just touch him. If I could just touch. And she couldn't get in, but she probably knew the way to the pastor's house. So as she decides to get ahead of them and cut up the alley and dart over the cobblestone down on Market and over to First Street, there's just this small opening as she can just reach out and just touch. And she's healed. And she knows it. She knows what's happened. Just to touch. And at once, Jesus realized that the power had gone out from him, and he turned around to the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? <laughs> uh, I mean, you see the people around you? The disciples answered, and he asked, uh, Who touched me? I mean, <laughs> nine of us touching you right now. Who touched you? And we were all going together. I didn't know, hey, who touched them? Everyone's like, oh. <laughs> no, who touched me? Do you realize what she's just done in that moment? Do you realize how selfish she is? She just took something that wasn't hers. She didn't ask for it. I mean, the pastor came up. It wasn't even for him. It was for his daughter. She didn't ask him. She didn't talk to him. She didn't wait her place in line. She went and took something that wasn't hers. And all she wants to do is get away because she knows what's just happened. And so does he. And as he's saying, who touched me? I can only see now as the camera picks up as his gaze is hitting her right in the back of the head and the crowd begins to see where he's looking. And they're dumbfounded as they gasp. 
this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one the rumors are about. And now you just went and touched him? They don't know that she's been healed. All they know is that he's been defiled. According to Leviticus 15, 19 on, that she's unclean. That everything she touches is unclean. Everyone she's around is unclean. Or the clothes she's wearing is unclean. And she touches someone else is unclean, and now he's unclean. You've just defiled the one that we've been waiting for. And as he sits there and stares at the back of her head, he says, who touched me? Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told the whole truth. She knew the most horrifying moment in her life was about to happen. She looked just like everybody else. No one knew of her problem. But she just got pointed out and called out in front of everyone, this crowd. So she came to him and fell at her knees with tears rolling down her face, falling into the dry dirt, and told her whole story. For 12 years, for 12 years I've had this my problem, and this is what it is, and I am unclean. For 12 years, I've spent everything that I've had in first century medicine, and I've only grown worse. I've been medically raped, a constant flow of blood for 12 years, and I just wanted to touch you. I just wanted to touch you. The crowd is blown away. They're like, what has just happened? Oh, my gosh. And Jesus looked at her. And he said, daughter, <laughs> out of every word that maybe she thought she deserved in that moment, out of every word maybe the crowd was using to call her out in that moment, out of every adjective she could have come up in that moment, I don't think daughter was one of them. You could have spent a thousand words to come up with one word for her in that moment and you couldn't have come up with a better one. Daughter. See, I have two of those kinds. I have one, I have a boy too. He's a prayer request, but still I have two, so <laughs> I understand what the word daughter means. When you say daughter, it means I'm the dad. When you're my daughter, everything I have and everything I'm about is yours. You're my daughter. He said, daughter. You know, if something was ever to come up or go on with one of my girls, I'll tell you, I don't care when it is in life, but I'll, I'll, everything that I have in, it, in me and everything that's loaded in the closet is coming for you if you mess with daughter. Daughter. Says, Daughter. Your faith has healed you. It wasn't the cloak. Your faith has healed you. You know, later on in life, you're going to move on and you're going to have a family and, and, and things are going to happen. Things are going to come up. Stuff, stuff just does. It's life. And you're going to go searching for the cloak. It wasn't the cloak. It was your faith. And you can have that anywhere you are in life. However, whatever happens, whatever storm you're in, it was your faith that heals you. And you can have it.
Your faith has healed you. And to the crowd, she has shalom. She has peace. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. He knows what's just happened. They don't know, but now he's telling them. First of all, this is my daughter. You don't mess with her. You mess with her, you mess with me. Daughter. And she has peace. She has been freed from her suffering. Understand that she is now emotionally, physically, spiritually, sexually. She's free. She's healed. No more. 12 years. Done. Gone. Get it? While Jesus was still speaking to her, I almost forgot. I almost totally forgot. All this is happening right now. This is like a big deal. All this is happening. She stopped everything. But where were they going? I almost forgot. They were going to his house. All in this time, he doesn't know what to do. Camera picks him up and he's like, what do I do? This is, a, this is a moment. I can't stop this, but she's 12. I've got to get you there. Please hurry. And as this was going on, as he was still speaking to her, some people came from his house of the synagogue leader, leader and said, your daughter's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hey, the camera picks up as the crowd begins to part. Excuse me. She's dead. Your wife's in touch. You need to come home. Come home. We need you. In a room this size, I know there has to be some that may have heard that. Those words. I can't even imagine. Ignoring what they had said to him and were saying right then, Jesus told them, don't be afraid. Just believe. If you've ever wanted a really good life verse that's short and simple and to the point, when things get hard and criticism comes up and you just don't understand and you're afraid, Verse 36 of Mark 5, ignore what they say. Don't be afraid. Just believe. So they left. And they continued on to his house. He didn't let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the home of the synagogue leader. So (laughs) why Peter, John, and James? Have you noticed? Like when it gets all crazy with Moses and Eli, Peter, John, John and James. When uh, he's like um, at the end right there and he's like, hey, I need my boys. Like, this is going to end. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and he's like, Peter, James, and John. They're there right now. Hey, I'm taking them. Peter, James, and John. Why does that happen? Why those three? I mean, there's 12 of them. Couldn't they get on like a, a four-team rotation base? <laughs> I mean, if God really wanted to see three, uh, have three, see what they were doing, and he could have done something like that. But why those guys? You know what I think? I think they were the most untrustworthy. <laughs> why? Well, well, everyone says, well, no, that's not true. Um, it says in the Bible that um, John, John was loved most by Jesus. Well, who wrote that? John did. <laughs> I'll tell you the truth. If, if I was ever going to write a book of the Bible, I mean, I'm looking pretty good. <laughs> Mostus. <laughs> no, it was probably like when, when God was about to do something that they weren't ready for, and Jesus is on his way somewhere, he's like, oh, hey, you three, come on. 
Because everybody else was being good, and they were probably sitting there, they just got in the fire going, yes, this is going to be awesome, getting all the fire going. And he's like, oh, I can't leave you guys alone. Come on with me, guys. Keep you out of trouble. So they followed him, and they came to the home of the synagogue leader, and Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why is this commotion and wailing? This child's not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him. And he put them all out and he took the child's father and mother and his disciples who were with him. And he went in there with the child. He took the child by the hand and said, Talitha Kahun, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. And at this they were completely astonished. And he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. As they show up to this small adobe house, the man comes in, bursts through the door, and the mom's been sitting there. I don't know if it's been for days or hours, but she has not left that station as she's watched her child's body tremble and shake as it's giving out to life. And as he comes through, she turns around and buries her head into his chest, and as he embraces her, it's his first glance because of his stature, he can look down and see that his child is lifeless. She's gone. As the mom's crying, it's too late. In this moment, Peter, John, and James are against the wall wondering what they're doing there. This is too intense for me. In this moment is when Jesus comes around the corner and reaches out his hand and grabs that little girl's hand. Talitha, come Get up. And she wakes. Astonishment. I mean, I can't even imagine, like, scared, astonished, blown away. What do you do right there when you see your daughter get up? You know that she was dead. I mean, it's first century medicine, but we know when the heart stops beating, the lungs aren't working anymore. She was dead. And he said to her, you don't tell anybody about this. She was in a coma. I've told everybody out there, I'm telling you in here, she was in a coma. She was sleeping. You got it? Everybody knows that's the story and we're sticking to it. And one other thing, she's hungry. Give her some macaroni and cheese or something because she likes it. <laughs> it's like what 12-year-olds like a lot. What do, you, what do you do in that moment? You see, this is the crazy part. This is only like chapter 5. This is only chapter, you know what you've done to your popularity right now? Like, in the, in the Jewish culture, like, hey, God is one who gives lives and takes lives, and you've just done that. You just proved that you are God. You've stopped this woman from bleeding. You've done all these things, and you, you know what you've done for yourself? It is early, already, you have just said, I am God. Your popularity is now skyrocketing. It's like through the charts. You're only in chapter five. Do you know what you've done? See, the thing is, he cared more about prom than popularity. He says, no, 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 no. She was in a coma. She was sleeping. And we just watched her get up. They know it, and we know it. And that's the story. I care more about her prom than my popularity. Let me ask you this. Whoever takes a dead girl to prom? <laughs> Who's ever dancing with a zombie? 
it would follow her the rest of her life. She'd be 58 years old in a grocery store, and people would look over at her and be like, that's that dead girl. (laughs) But it wasn't going to happen because he cared more about her life, more about her childhood and her prom date than he did about his popularity. To walk up and be like, yay, we did it again. Yeah, look at that. She's alive. Nope. She's in coma. She was sleeping and we saw her get up. That's the beautiful thing of the gospel and the redemptive story. This is one chapter out of 89 chapters that we have of the gospel. And Jesus' life says at the end of the uh, the book of John that you couldn't even contain... All the books in the world couldn't contain the life and the story of Jesus. We've given you like four weeks. Every, every home, every boat ride, every night, every waking moment, something. Jesus was redeeming over and over and over again. And the best part is the story continues. You don't see it, but you know it does. You look in Mark 6, then we start. Jesus left, and they went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. It goes on, different story. But the story continues with those. The story continues. The story of redemption continues. That night, that evening, it's about 3 o'clock in the morning, and the crowd's gone to bed. It's been a good crowd day. They've got their little happy Jesus smiles, dreaming of all the things that they saw and got to experience that night. And if you're a light sleeper, you might suddenly hear this. And you might go, what? What the heck is that? And if you're brave enough, you throw on a coat and you walk outside and you see this woman running up and down the street and pulling off the chairs that have been stacked up for the night in the corner and pulling out and sitting down. The big old grin. And then getting up and running to the next one and unstacking it and sitting down. And you walk up to her and go, what are you doing? It's three o'clock in the morning. I have always wanted to sit in that chair. For 12 years, I didn't get to sit in that chair. For 12 years, I've wanted to lean against that wall. For 12 years, I've wanted to sit in the bench by the fountain. I tried to sleep tonight. I couldn't. And you'd look at her and you'd smile and you'd just go back to bed and know that's been a good day. And across the sea, candlelight has been lit and lit and lit over and over again as a family has been restored some dignity as they surround one another and there's hugs and there's kisses and there's apologies and there's forgiveness. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I didn't come visit you, but you were in a cemetery. I'm, so, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for what I've done. I'm sorry. I didn't know what happened to you. I'm sorry. I don't know what happened to me. And even though as he tried to leave and be number 13 in the boat, Jesus told him to get out and go tell what the Lord has done for you and how I've had mercy on you. And he did with his family that night. And what's interesting, I haven't put it together until just recently. But the next time he goes back to Damascus, he feeds 5,000 people. How did 5,000 people come together? If you just look at that just the, in the big picture wise, how does that ever happen? The towns there are maybe like two to 400 people at the most. How did you gather that many people at the same time and be like, hey, we're all coming together. And then you decided to stay long enough to where you didn't even bring food. You knew you were going for that long. You know How? If you think about it, 
When you look out in the crowd and you see at the front the guy there with his arm crossed, it always wears the short sleeves. It's got scars. And he's showing them. And he says, I did exactly what you told me to do. And I told him, they're coming, and I hope you brought dinner because they're staying until they hear the story. I did exactly what my God told me to do. And then you look across the sea the other way, and it's like 3.30 in the morning now, and you're... And a mom and dad sit there and be like, you need energy. You've been sick. You need to rest. You need to go to bed. But she just doesn't. So they sit there and they just enjoy as their daughter plays jump rope and has dreams of prom. And she gets to play that night. And it's okay. We can have one of those nights. You just play. And we'll just smile here and know what's been done. The story continues. So we say, what is the will of God? What's God's will? If you look at the big God story, which we're a part of and we're continually being weaved into from beginning into the future, you see this time and time and time and time again that God's will, very simply put, is to redeem us. And for us, to have others redeemed. See, three years after Jesus spent this time in his ministry, he stood on the top of the hill and he talked to his boys and he said, I've given you the best training you could have for three years. I mean, this is like seminary school to the the nines. You've seen it, you've touched it, you've smelt it, you've dealt with it at all. But you're not equipped for nothing. He said, I'm going to send something to you. And you wait and I'm going to give it to you. And then you're going to go do it. I'm not doing it anymore. I've got to go because guess what? Your plan A. And there is no plan B. Your plan A and there is no plan B. So when I give you the Holy Spirit, that's my will. I want to redeem you and I want you to bring others into my redemption. So if you ask yourself, uh, what do I do? Do I take this job or do I take this job? Is the redemption to be had somewhere in there? Ask yourself that. Well, this job, it pays a lot more, so I mean, we would be comfortable. It would be nice, but I'm going to be working a lot of hours. This job pays a little less, but it's a great job still. But I'm working less hours, and I'm going to get to spend time with my family. And I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old, and... I need to have some redeeming time with my family. What's God's will? That you would make more money and be comfortable because, hey, I'm doing this for you. I'm giving you a good life. Or I'm doing this with you because God wants to be involved in this and redeem our family and our relationship. Ask yourself that when you're asking what's God's will. And understand your plan A. There is no plan B. B plan A. Do God's will. you pray with me? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.